Justin taught on legend a few weeks ago. Uh, it was all about how we should be honoring our elders and those who have gone before us. Um, and I, I loved uh, just hearing the, the heart behind that. You know, I have a, a lot of legends in my life. Uh, the first couple I can think of that, that brought me into this world are my parents, my mom and dad. Uh, oh, beautiful Hawaii parents right there. That's, they're, they're some of the legends in my life. Uh, another one of the legends in my life is my chicken. I have a chicken, so show me the first picture of my chicken. Look, look at that chicken. That is not my chicken. That's a beautiful chicken. Do you see like the, the front little um, headdress thing that that chicken has? Like it, it's stately, it's, it's regal. Now th- show me my chicken. My chicken is like a cage fighter. It, it has gone through an a attack by a dog and an attack by a possum and survived. Like, there's nothing you can do to my chicken to kill it. I, it's like Superman chicken. So my chicken is one of my legends in my life. Don't judge me. Um, what are some other legends? We have legends in our personal lives. We have legends, like, in history. So, like, um, every, how many of y'all have seen the movies Narnia? C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis wrote a ton of amazing uh, Christian theology and, and books. Uh, Martin Luther King, everyone knows Martin Luther King, amazing man, led these movements for, for freedom and equality. Um, let me show you, what's another legend in history? Batman, how can we not have Batman as one of the greatest legends in all of history? I mean, did you see those movies? Incredible, incredible. We also have legends in the Bible. So you have like, like Moses, you have uh, Mary, you have David, we have, we have all these people that we look up to throughout history in our own lives. One of the things that I love about this is that none of these people are perfect. You know why I love that? Because I am so far from perfect. David, Moses, Mary, Batman, none of them are perfect. They're all broken in different ways. My chicken is so far from perfect but yet so beautiful. Like, like when you look at my chicken, you're not like, oh, that's a good-looking chicken. No, you're like, oh, cover your eyes. It is a scary-looking chicken, but that's what makes it so beautiful. He's so unique. He's so, like, like tough. He's, he's a little broken, but I find him beautiful. I find him awesome. So we're going to continue uh, off of the, the legends and, and start talking a little bit about some of the broken heroes of the Bible. Because all the heroes that we look at in the Bible are broken in one way or another. Um, we look up at these people and we, we think, uh, we just kind of see the good oftentimes. We're like, man, I could never be like them. I could never do what they did. I could never have the faith like they did. And we often forget that they are just as broken as me and you. Like, all the heroes in the Bible are just as broken as, as each one of us sitting in this room. The only difference between them and us is that they trusted God with their whole hearts, and they obeyed him wholeheartedly. You know, they're, they're just as broken as we are. I, I have struggled a lot with fear in my life. We're going to kind of be diving into the topic of fear here today. And that's one, been one of my struggles throughout my whole life. I grew up with a lot of fear. Um, one time in particular, I was going on a ski trip, so we went to Colorado, and I am from Houston, Texas, and so when you put me in front of uh, snow on a set of skis, 
It's like, like a giant ogre trying to balance on, on a, a wire. Like it, it, the, the two don't mix. And so I got up there, and I was getting some, some ski lessons the first day, and they taught us how to do this thing called the wedge. How many of you guys have been skiing? Anyone been skiing? You guys know what the wedge is? So it's when you, you have your skis, and you put them like this so that you can like brace yourself and slow yourself down the hill. So I learned that the first day, and I learned that that was my ticket to not breaking my face. I was like, okay, if I just do the wedge, then I won't get injured, right? Because I'm so uncomfortable on the snow. Like, it, it's not even funny. It's, and, and so I, I learned how to do the wedge. I was there for four days. And most of the time when you learn how to ski, like, you progress in your skiing skills, not me. No, I stuck with the wedge every single day. So, like, I'm going down these, these green bunny slopes, and I'm like, please, please don't hurt me. And there's guys going, just passing by me, having a blast. And I'm like, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall. The entire time. I'm, I'm kind of like, like this kid. Check out this video real quick. That, that was me. Just, like, sliding on my butt slowly going down this hill. Doesn't that look like fun? That looks like a blast, right? No! It was so lame. I was so lame because I was controlled by my fear. If I hadn't let fear cover me and, and, and rule me during that time, I could have been having a blast. But because I let fear control me, and I slid down the mountain on my butt, more or less, the entire time, when I got back from that trip, everyone was like, hey, how's your ski trip? Yeah, it was all right. It was okay. It was lame. It was lame. If I hadn't let fear control me, I could have been experiencing so much more enjoyment and happiness. I could have been kind of like, like this guy. Check out this. This could have been me, right? That could have been me. My second day of skiing. I mean, just imagine, like I'm skiing, about to do a flip, maybe. No, I didn't do a flip. I can't do a flip. Look at that eagle. Did you see the eagle? Is that guy letting fear control him? No. If that was me, I would clothesline myself and have a broken face. How many of you guys can do that? Yeah? Let's see it. Oh, big jump. Big jump. That's so cool. That, that's what I could have been doing, right? I know you don't believe me. You don't believe in my talents and my skills. That could have been me. Like, I could have, okay, maybe not to that extent, but I could have been having such a great time enjoying my ski trip. But instead, I chose to let fear rule me, and I went down the mountain at about a quarter mile an hour and wasted a week on the mountain. How many of us let fear rule us in, in things that, that God has called us to, and, and 
when we do so, we miss out on so many of the good, exciting, fun things that God has in store for us. What would we be doing if, if we didn't have fear controlling our decisions? What are some of your greatest fears? Spiders? I hate spiders. People? People are scary. Conversations? Snakes having conversations with you? I mean, there, there, there are so many different fears. The question is, what, what has God called you to that maybe you're not obeying him in because you're afraid? We all have something. I have many things. What has God called you to that you're not obeying him in because you're afraid? Today we're going to look at a man who struggled deeply with fear, a guy named Gideon. So after the Israelites were, um, went to the promised land, they, they ended up forsaking God. And so God gave them over to their enemies, and so he gave them over to the Midianites in this time period. And God appointed judges to rule over the Israelites, not, not really to rule over them, but to uh, defend them, to protect them, to lead them. And so in Judges 6, we're going to pick it up where um, God has given the Israelites over to the Midianites because they have completely stiff-armed God out of their lives. And the Midianites are these cruel, evil people that, that steal all of the Israelites' food. Like there is starvation all throughout the land, not because there's a drought or anything, but because the Midianites keep on stealing all of their food for themselves. And so we pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, that doesn't really make sense until we understand what a wine press is, what threshing wheat is. And so if you have a grain of wheat and you, you, have, um, you pull it off of the stalk, there's this kind of uh, hairy piece that, that covers the actual grain. And so threshing wheat was whenever they would throw the grains up into the air, and the wind would take the hairy piece away, so it would leave you with just the seed on the ground so that you could actually eat it. And so a normal threshing floor where they would thresh the wheat was, was this. It was out in the field. So in this big open place where the wind could really come through and, and, and help you thresh that wheat. Now it says Gideon was at the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat. Why was he at the bottom of a wine press? Show me the wine press. That hole in the ground that just keeps going, you can't even see it, that is the wine press. Gideon was hiding in a cave. He wasn't boldly standing out there like, Midianites, come at me. I am strong warrior, mighty man of God. No, he was hiding in a wine press because he didn't want them to steal his food. And so I love what God says to him. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What a strange thing to say to a man who is hiding from the enemies that God has called them to defeat. Mighty hero. So God calls him, God doesn't call him, hey, little chicken, little coward, you there, hiding away from the enemy. 
No, he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What do we learn from that? Well, God calls Gideon not who he is acting like in the moment. God calls Gideon who he knows Gideon will be in Christ, in God. God calls out Gideon's potential where he knows Gideon will be in the future and not what, how he's acting in the moment. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as, as timid or, or weak or insignificant? And so often we feel these terrible things about ourselves, but, but that's not God's heart for us. That's not how God sees us. God looks at you and says, mighty hero, son, daughter of the king, courageous warrior. We feel like I'm just insignificant. I have no part to play in this. And God looks at you and says, follow me and I will give you purpose beyond your wildest dream. God calls us not who we are in the moment. He calls us who we truly are. Not how we're acting, but who we truly are. God saw Gideon and knew, man, Gideon, you are a mighty hero in me. You're not, you're not acting in your true character here. Gideon replies in verse 13, it says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. So God calls Gideon to rescue all of Israel. And what is Gideon's reply? Gideon's reply is, I can't, God. Don't you see how weak I am? Don't you see? I, I, don't, I don't have the family to... to to be able to conquer Israel. I don't have the background. I don't have the skills. I don't have the training. I don't have the, the resources to conquer the enemies. I don't have any of this to lead all of Israel into victory. God, I am the least in my entire tribe. But God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care about what Gideon is in the moment because the victory does not rest with Gideon's strength or Gideon's leadership ability or Gideon's resources. No, the strength rests on God alone. So Gideon doubts. He fears. He thinks he's worthless. What has God called you to do that you're afraid of because of your own insecurities? We all have something. Is it cutting out a particular sin from your life? Is it sharing Jesus with a friend at school? Maybe it's confessing some sin to your small group that you've just been, been hiding away from. Maybe it's starting a Bible study with your friends. Maybe it's just talking to the lonely kid at school that you see at lunch every single day and letting them, them know that they're seen and heard even though your friends will make fun of you for it. Where are you letting fear rule you because of your own insecurities? I love God's response to Gideon, who is feeling insecure and doubts himself completely. Verse 16, it says, 
the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So why shouldn't we fear? Why shouldn't we let our insecurities rule us and our our doubts about ourselves and our own abilities? Not because we're going to overcome them on our own, but because God is with us. Do you all see that? God's response to him is, I will be with you. Man, and if God is with us, what can we not do? I know we, we, we hear that, okay, yeah, God's with me. And we can just brush over it because it becomes so rote and routine. Like it, it, Familiarity breeds contempt. And so we become familiar with the idea that the infinite God of all creation is with us. We're like, yeah, so what? What are we eating for lunch? Do you guys realize what that means? That, that God, the creator of time and space, like, like he is the infinite one that holds all power, all authority, all wisdom, all resources in the entire universe. He's saying, I will be with you. This is the same God that created the universe with a word from his mouth The billions of galaxies came into existence. This is the same God that creates the the most fearsome creatures in in the entire world. Like you you look at some of the most feared creatures in the world, like the great white shark. Look at this thing. God created that. And it wasn't hard for him. And he's not afraid of it. Even though if I get in the water next to that thing, I'm having to change my pants. God's not afraid of it. What about like, like uh, natural disasters? Like, do you see how amazing this world is? Like a volcano? Have you, do, you, do you realize what's happening there? That's a volcano that's erupting, creating a lightning storm. Like I stood in awe of this picture for 10 minutes yesterday, just looking at it. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? It's, it's awe-inspiring. Is God afraid of that? No. God's the same one that created that. What about, show me my next picture. Jurassic Park. God created dinosaurs. Like, I know, that, I know that's a movie, and, and Chris Pratt wasn't really around whenever the dinosaurs were there. But dinosaurs are real. Like, we have bones that we can put together and say, okay, that, that giant thing that was as tall as this building had razor-sharp teeth and could run 1,000 miles an hour. Like, that is a terrifying creature. Just imagine if, if a, a T-Rex came into this room right now. Like, you've all seen Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. I'm sorry. Wh- whichever one you've seen. Maybe Jurassic... What's, what's the other one? Jurassic Park Part 8? I don't know. If a T-Rex came into this room, we would all be weeping on the floor like little boys and girls. Me first. Like, I just, I, I'm running out to the back door that doesn't even have an exit. But God created that. Do you think God is afraid of the T Rex? God doesn't fear anything because He created it. 
There is, there is nothing too powerful for God, nothing too scary for God. And so when God says, I will be with you, he's saying, look, I created the great white sharks, I created the volcanoes, I created the dinosaurs, and I tell them where to go. At my command, they go left and they go right and they go deeper and they go higher and they explode and they stay dormant. At my command, and I will be with you. Man, what more could we need than that? That the infinite creator of the universe is with us. And so when we're feeling doubts, we're feeling insecurities about ourselves, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto God. Okay, God, if you are with me, if you are truly with me like you say in your words you are, then I should have nothing to fear, and so I will trust you completely, and you're going to have to come through for me. If God is for us, then who could be against us? You know, my wife and I fostered two little babies, Mark and Layla. Look at them, little nuggets. We fostered Mark and Layla, and we, we just knew that God was calling us to this thing called foster care. We didn't know would we be able to adopt them? Would they be taken away from us after a month? What, we, don't, we didn't know anything besides, okay, God has called us to this. And guys, it was one of the hardest processes of my entire life. There was a constant threat of fear. We had Mark. We got him as a newborn. We got Layla at 14 months old. So Mark, we got him out of the hospital, like out of the the intensive care unit, we took him home and we stayed up with him night after night after night after night, pouring our blood, sweat, and tears into this little boy. And at five months, he left us. They, they called us and they said, hey, we're coming to get him tomorrow. Pack his things. Guys, I, I can remember so vividly, the next 24 hours, I was a weeping mess. I couldn't stop crying, just bawling out to God, crying out to God. God, that's not fair. What are you doing? That's my son. How can you do this to me? I had no idea what the future held. I had no idea if I would ever see him again. But when my prayer started with, God, what are you doing? I can't believe you're doing this to me. He brought me back to the truth that he is sovereign, and that he is good. And that was the only thing that I could cling to. I, I had to just pray over and over again, okay, God, if you are truly sovereign, if you truly oversee every single thing that is happening, then you're in this somehow. And God, if you are 100% good, then I have to just choose to believe that you have my good and Mark's good in mind. God, you love him more than, infinitely more than I could ever love him. And so, God, save him. Their fear every single day was, is, is he okay? I don't know. Is he being fed? Is he being loved on? Is he being hugged? Is he being played with? Is he safe? And every day I had to turn that fear back to God. No, God, God, you're sovereign. You're good. I'm going to choose to trust you. Ten months later, God brought him back to our life. We got to adopt him another year after that. 
So it, it was an incredibly hard process, but it wasn't just with Mark. With Layla, it's been just as hard of a process, just in different ways. Did, did you know that her, her mom accused Lindsay and I of, of child abuse? And so we had a CPS investigation where they came into our home and they, they asked us a thousand questions and, and there was the threat of us losing her now. I mean, the, the temptations for fear were, were just astounding, just over and over and over again. And the only thing I could cling to was, okay, God, you are good and you are sovereign. I have to trust you because I can't trust CPS. I can't trust the judge. I can't trust myself. And I got to this place. God brought me to this place and he humbled me and made me realize that, that I wasn't the judge here. That CPS wasn't the judge that the judge in the court system wasn't even the judge. That the, the great king of the universe, the one that was completely wise and completely good, he was the judge over my situation and over my kids' situations. And guys, that, that brought me such peace. Knowing that I didn't have to fret or fear or like try to manipulate the situations into my own benefit, but I could just trust, okay, God, you are the judge here, and I'm giving myself over to you. Have your way. And over and over again, God came through. Not in easy ways, not in the ways I would have wanted, but God came through to where we were able to adopt them. Show me my next picture. We, Mark and Layla are now ours forever. And it wasn't an easy process, but God was so faithful and it taught me so much. And so, yeah, praise God. So Gideon is feeling all these fears, all these doubts, all these insecurities. He sees the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord tells him, I will be with you. And Gideon's like, I don't believe you, God. And so he brings the angel of the Lord this, this meal, and the angel of the Lord sets it on fire. And Gideon's like, okay, if you can shoot fireballs out of your eyes, then maybe I should follow you. But Gideon still doesn't trust God completely. And so Gideon says to God, hey, God, don't be mad at me, but I'm going to lay out this like blanket out in the middle of the field, and if I wake up tomorrow morning and the blanket's dry and the ground around it is wet, then I'm going to know that this is you. So God does it. And the next day, Gideon's like, hey, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Don't be mad at me again. I still kind of doubt. How about tonight, if the blanket is dry and the ground around is wet, or did I say backwards? I don't know. The opposite of what the night before was, and God does it again. So Gideon's like, all right, I guess I have no choice. I got to obey God. And so God calls Gideon to take the Israelites against the army of Midian. God says, hey, Gideon, take all your army and whittle them down. You have too many people. What? Gideon brings 30,000 men to go fight this army of over 130,000 men of the Midianites. And God says to Gideon, no, you have too many people. What kind of military strategist is this? God, I don't, I don't think you've ever read The Art of War. Like, we need more people. The more people we have, the better our chances are of winning. And God's like, no. The more people you have, the more you're going to claim credit for the victory. Get rid of your men. So God whittles them down to, to like 10,000. Like, okay, those are, those are decent odds. Every man has to, to kill like 13 other people. Okay, that's, that's tough, but I guess it's doable. And God's like, no, 
Take them down more. So it goes from 10,000 men to 300. God calls Gideon to go into battle against 130,000 men with 300. Do we realize the scale of that? that? That is insanity. That's like us in this room going up against the entire Canadian military. Like, for real, they have like 100,000 people in their military. Like, like us in this room going up against the entire Canadian military. What are our chances? Zilch, we're dead. It's impossible. Even if like we're, we're getting in, like, there's no weapons, it's just fist fights. Like, we're, they're, they're just going to consume us like ants. We have no hope. So God says, yeah, that's right, your hope is not in your men. It's in me. God wants Gideon to know, hey, Gideon, you didn't win this battle. I did. Second Chronicles 20.15 says, Thus says the Lord to you, Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. What impossible odds are you facing in your life? What battle are you facing? Maybe it's a struggle with sin. Maybe you wrestle with anxiety or depression. Maybe it's a a broken relationship that you just can't fix. What impossible odds are you facing? Where you just feel like the demons are just surrounding you and hounding you and destroying you. We have to remember that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. When we trust in ourselves, we are often disappointed. But when we can trust in God, look what God does for Gideon. God confuses this vast army. So God causes this army, 130,000 men, who they could easily, in like 30 seconds, they could destroy the Israelites. God confuses them so that then they start fighting each other. So all the Midianites are stabbing each other and killing each other so that the Israelites are just sitting back like they're just eating popcorn. Like, God, are we ever going to have to fight this? And God's like, no, I told you, the battle is mine, not yours. The victory was because of God's strength, not because of Gideon's. Now, I want you to just think about for a minute, what if Gideon hadn't obeyed God? What if Gideon had allowed fear to rule him and he hadn't obeyed God? He would still be in the bottom of the winepress, cowering away from the enemy, missing out on the adventure of a lifetime. What do we miss out on because we let fear rule our decisions instead of God? What's on the other side of of crazy abandoned faith, like if God's calling you to do something crazy, but God's calling you to do it, then he will carry you through. And you'll get on the other side and just laugh at how amazing he is. Like, I can't believe he did that. But when we let fear rule us, then we're just stuck in the bottom of the wine press, going about our day-to-day life, trying not to get killed, trying not to get our food stolen. We miss out on the adventure. The world would look at Gideon's plan and say, Gideon, you are an idiot. 
you had 30,000 men, which still are, are terrible odds going up against 130,000. You had 30,000 men, and you sent 99.9% of them away? I, that is dumb. That is stupid. That is idiotic. But God says, hey, sit back. Prepare to be amazed. When we trust God in something that he's called us to do, we are so often amazed at how amazing he is. So what are our main takeaways from this story? Well, I think first we see that, that our sin and our insecurity doesn't disqualify us from being used by God. It doesn't disqualify us from being close to God. It doesn't disqualify us from living on purpose for God. Gideon was, was just in his brokenness. He, he didn't do anything for God to come to him and call him out of the pit. No, Gideon was just fine in his, his fear. But God said, hey, come follow me, and I'll show you some amazing things. Your sin, your brokenness, my sin, my brokenness doesn't disqualify us from God. I think we also see that God uses broken people who choose to trust him. It's not about us being perfect. It's about us choosing to trust God. I remember whenever I was interning here, and we went to a camp, a summer camp, and I left a night of worship just feeling so down about myself, like, Man, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. Like, I, I am just such a sinner. I'm such a, a wretch. How can I be, be trying to lead, lead people with, man, I'm just so broken. And so I went to one of the pastors, and I just said, hey, man, this is how I'm feeling. I, I just feel so broken. Like, like, what am I even doing here? I feel like I should just go home. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, hey, hey Kalen, if, if I had to wait every single week for me not to sin before I preached, I would never preach. I sin every single week, but God is not looking for our perfection. He is looking for our brokenness. So guys, whenever we bring our brokenness to the Lord and we say, God, this is, this is where I'm at. I'm not trying to put on a face for you. I'm not trying to, to make myself look better than I am. But God, I am so broken, but I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. Would you help me? God loves that kind of prayer. God loves that kind of prayer. On the other side of obeying God, even when it's crazy, is blessing. I think lastly, what we see is that no matter the situation, we cannot let fear win. Not because of how incredibly strong we are, like, like, it's not because of, of my own strength that I'm able to overcome situations, but it's because of the infinite king of the universe living inside of me that I can then overcome anything. If that God, the God who created the great whites and the volcanoes and the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, if, if that God lives inside of me, then I can overcome anything. And if you know Jesus, that same God lives inside of you. Meaning you can overcome anything in him. I'm going to invite the band back up as we move into a time of response. I want to read this verse over you guys. 
Maybe just close your eyes and just let it sink in, the, the truth of what it's saying. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It doesn't say the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those who are stronger than everybody else or who are smarter than everybody else or have more money or more talent or more resources than everybody else. It says the eyes of the Lord are searching for somebody whose heart is fully committed to him, who will choose to trust him no matter what, who choose to obey him no matter how crazy it sounds, no matter how, how limited we feel we'll just choose to obey and trust him. It doesn't matter what our economic status is. It doesn't matter what our, our upbringing is. It doesn't matter what accent we speak with. If we will just choose to trust him, then he will strengthen us. In fact, he's searching right now. He's looking down there like, are they going to come after me? Are they going to be committed to me? Oh, there's one. Here's everything that I have. Wouldn't you like to be strengthened by the almighty king of the universe? I would. I need his strength, not my own, because mine is limited by far. How do we commit our heart fully to God? Three simple ways and a bunch more, but these are, these are the main ones. We bring every fear to him in prayer. Every single fear, God, this, this fear is consuming me, but I'm going to choose to trust you because you are sovereign and you are good. I think we also have to be asking him what he thinks, meaning we have to be getting in the Bible on a regular basis to see, okay, what does God say? Not what does the world say, because they're very different things. What does God say? We have to be getting in his word. And another way is spending time with his people. Get involved with a small group. Get involved with, with a, a couple of believers. Maybe you'll just go get coffee every week, or maybe I don't know, students go get, don't get coffee. Maybe, maybe you go uh, play video games and then talk about Jesus, or maybe you go play football and talk about Jesus, or whatever you need to do. Get with other believers. Open yourself up to them. Allow yourself to be known by them. You have cards and pens under your seat or maybe you're sitting on it right now I want you to bring it out I just want you to maybe close your eyes to remove distractions if you need to but just ask God what what brokenness do you feel disqualifies you from being used by him maybe even from knowing him whatever it is just write it down What's your greatest fear? Maybe even what has God called you to do that you are just terrified of? Maybe it is cutting off some sin in your life or confessing something to somebody or sharing Christ with that weird kid at school. Whatever it is, just write it down. 
And once you have it in your mind, I just want you to write out your prayer to the Lord. Just confessing that it's his strength that you need and not your own. Confessing that you need his help. Just write out your prayer to him. to respond you can keep on writing but we have our ties and communion where we can just worship the Lord with with our the money that he's given us we can worship the Lord by thanking him for his life death resurrection so that we could actually know him forever we're gonna worship guys let's worship the infinite one as he deserves with all of our hearts because he is looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to his. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. God, I pray that each and every student here, each and every adult here, myself included, would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with us and that nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is is so far beyond your reach that you can't come through. God, would you give us faith to believe that? Lord, and cast away every fear in our life. We beg you to move in us, to change us, to draw us near to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.